Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The busy season for Georgia state lawmakers is now over. Yes, the legislation session wrapped up on April 2nd, but yesterday marked the final close to the 2019 lawmaking season. Governor Brian Kemp had 40 days after signing a die to publicly sign or veto bills. That period ended last night. Now, everything that hasn't seen his pen is automatically law. Returning with On Second Thought's breakdown of how our state laws are changing is GPB political reporter Stephen Fowler. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So I said do or die, but it's really more like did or died. This had to have happened by yesterday. Right. So today is kind of the day that we, the dust settles and we're able to look at the things that were signed, the things that were vetoed, and then remember all of the other things that got sent to the governor's desk that are now law that maybe didn't get those public press releases or proclamations. Well, that's what we've got you here for. Let's start with one of the most controversial bills signed last week, HB 481, also known as the heartbeat bill, scheduled to take effect on January the 1st of 2020, effectively banning abortions in the state. Stephen, briefly remind us of how this changes existing law. Well, existing law, uh, abortions can be performed in Georgia up to 20 weeks of pregnancy. This would move that back to about six weeks when a heartbeat is detected uh, in an embryo. And uh, some other changes that would be made, would it would establish personhood rights. So once that heartbeat is detected, that means that an embryo or a fetus uh, will have certain legal and economic rights, including the rights to uh, being counted in some state census populations, and parents could claim that on their taxes as a dependent. Usually when the governor's signature lands on a bill, we say it will take effect on an assigned day. This is going to face some big challenges before New Year's Day. What kind of court battles are expected ahead? Well, the American Civil Liberties Union of Georgia, Planned Parenthood, and several other groups have said, we will see you in court. Uh, this is going to face legal challenges really on two fronts. The first front is going to be that six-week abortion ban, and the other front is going to be that personhood language. One of the arguments that I've seen is that on January 1st, if this law takes effect, it could mean Georgia is uh, wrongly imprisoning thousands potentially of people because pregnant women who are in jail, that once this law takes effect, uh, the baby that they're pregnant with, fetus, embryo, the different stages, would be a person who was not convicted of a crime. So has rights. Here's, and this, of course, was part of the intent. This is the bill's sponsor, one of them, Republican Representative Ed Setzer, speaking to reporters after the bill was signed last Tuesday. Yeah, the Life Act is fundamentally different than the uh, heartbeat bills in other states. Because in Georgia, we, we not only recognized that children with a heartbeat are worthy of protection from abortion, but we laid the, the foundation of personhood. Some Hollywood producers and showrunners say they will boycott Georgia's film industry over this abortion bill. Surprise in some corners also not to see more public opposition. So what kind of reaction have you seen? Well, one of the big headlines that's gone around is three production companies saying that they are going to boycott Georgia or no longer film in Georgia. Uh, the AJC actually found out that those three companies have never filmed in Georgia, and now I guess they will not plan to film in Georgia. One production company, it's J.J. Uh, Abrams and Jordan Peele, they're starting production on a show... 
uh, I think based on HP Lovecraft, in a few weeks or a few months, they've come out and said that they are going to donate the fees and some other things. Uh, they're still going to film in Georgia, and they're going to donate money to Stacey Abrams' group, Fair Fight Georgia, and the ACLU of Georgia because they say that they're committed to uh, employing Georgia workers and doing things, but also to fighting this bill. And now some other groups uh, have not really weighed in on this decision because of those court battles, and this bill will could be blocked pretty soon thereafter, and so maybe it's easier to stay in the shadows and let the courts decide before ultimately they make a decision on uh, supporting or opposing this measure. The Representative Ed Setzler did say this is different than laws in other states. There have been some, you know, reports that charges would be filed against women for having abortions. Is that true? False? Well, what the language of the bill does include, it includes affirmative defense language that says that uh, if a woman has a miscarriage, that uh, they would not, a miscarriage is not classified as an abortion, so it wouldn't be under there. And there is existing case law in Georgia that does say that a woman who has an abortion cannot be charged for that abortion. The criminal abortion charge would be for whomever helped, whether it's a doctor or somebody like that. But with any sort of legal case, in a case like this, Uh, future court cases could decide or a prosecutor could decide to charge someone and it would have to work its way through the courts for us to really know what the true legal effect that this bill would say. But the bill sponsors say they've written language in there that would not charge women or investigate women who have miscarriages and would not charge women with murder for having an abortion. So that's certainly something we will be following with you and throughout GPB on Political Rewind and otherwise. Let's move on to the budget, the fiscal year budget, the only piece of legislation that the General Assembly had to pass. And the governor did sign this record-setting $27.5 billion document last Friday. What are some of the things our tax dollars are going to be paying for next year? Well, you know, our tax dollars every year pay for all of the different state departments, whether it's the Department of Corrections, Department of, uh, you know, Department of Labor, all of these other things. Some of the new additions, the biggest one will be a 2% merit increase for all state employees and a $3,000 raise for teachers and other certified school employees. That's one of the biggest pushes that Governor Kemp called for and put in there, and it's been one of his campaign pain issues. Another big chunk of money that we have is $150 million to pay for new voting machines that will hopefully be ready, according to the Secretary of State's office, by next November's presidential election. And that $150 million will get new machines, but also go for training and outreach so all of us here in Georgia know how to use those machines. So good question there, because five months into Governor Kemp's tenure, he's now passed the first legislative session when he had to work with the state's Democratic and Republican leadership. How have his priorities borne out throughout this process? Well, you know, somebody in the governor's office told me towards the end of the session that they felt like they got 95% of what they were asking for and what they had really wanted to accomplish in this first year. It's Kemp's first year. It's uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan's first year. So it's kind of getting settled in these positions and with these uh, partnerships and cooperation there. But the two big priorities for the Kemp administration have been education and health care, and those have been borne out in the legislative process. You have the teacher pay raise. You have school safety money that's gone, mental health money for schools that have gone. And you've got the governor's priorities with expanding some rural health care options, reforming some certificate of need requirements for different rural facilities, and this big Patients First Act, which will change potentially how uh, the state's Medicaid or Medicare system 
is run along with the Affordable Care Act. All right. We'll dig into those in a minute. This is GPB Politics reporter Stephen Fowler with me. He's been covering the legislative session for us and tracking bills that have been sent to the governor's desk. Which, by the way, the, the budget was signed in Camilla, and some of the final days of signings were also done outside of the Capitol with stops in Cairo, Valdosta, Lake Park. Why does the governor hold these public signings across the state? Well, there's several different uh, reasons for that. Um, some of the bills that he signed in different places were symbolic. Um, he signed pieces of legislation dealing with education in schools because there's places that are most impacted. Uh, there's some rural initiatives that are signed in rural Georgia. And really, you know, he's the governor of the whole state. So signing everything in Atlanta, you know, there's only so many, you know, only so many people that can come see it and only so many Georgians that can experience government. So going places like Cairo and Camilla and Adel and Valdosta and places across the state, uh, you know, it's partially to experience the state and see different parts of the state. But, you know, there are some pieces of legislation that have significance to other parts of the state. You know, Governor Kemp wouldn't sign something to do with the coast up in northwest Georgia. And it wouldn't make sense to sign it in Atlanta. So this is him getting out and about and, you know, signing different pieces in different parts of the community that are impacted. I want to ask you more about that Medicaid bill. The bill that he signed this session could change Georgia's health care landscape. Here is Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan's speaking about the Patients First Act. This plan that, that, is, that has been put into motion, uh, this is step one that allows us to do something that I, I think no other state is doing, and that's combining both an 1115 and a 1332 waiver, which at the end of the day is, is not about Medicaid expansion. What it's about is trying to get free markets and, and private insurance to cover as many Georgians as we possibly can. So the Patients First Act allows the state to start drafting an application for a Medicaid waiver. It took effect as soon as the governor signed it on March 27. How far along is the office in this process? Right. So the Patients First Act, uh, what we have now is we have the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, and we have the state's Medicaid plan. What this does is it would, uh, the governor is going to work with some sort of consulting group who is going to examine the state's health care system and how things work or in some cases don't work. And that consultant is going to uh, look at the federal law and find ways that Georgia can get exempted from those two laws to create customized health care plans for maybe target populations like pregnant women or children under the age of 18 or maybe demographical areas or geographical areas like maybe southwest Georgia or something like that. So it's a long process, but it was immediately signed and immediately transferred. So they're working and they're going to figure out what consultant is going to work with the state over the next year or so to dive into the state's health care and figure out what, what, if any, solutions can come from seeking these waivers. Well, so they have not yet identified that group as far as you know. Uh, so one topic you have been following closely is voting. Next year's budget includes $150 million to replace outdated touchscreen machines. Also, lawmakers passed several bipartisan changes to how we vote. What is going to be different next time an on-second-thought listener heads to the ballot box? 
Well, the first thing is going to be the machines of which we vote on. Georgia currently has what's known as a DRE, a direct recording electronic machine, where you push the button and your vote is saved on a memory card. The memory card's bagged up and driven into a place to be counted on election night. The new machines are going to be ballot marking devices. So same touchscreen, you know, boop, boop, boop. I vote for Virginia Prescott for president. Okay, I've been about to announce. (laughs) And then uh, what happens is... Is it's printed out on some sort of piece of paper. There's a paper component to it, and that will then go into a locked box, and the paper will be scanned uh, depending on what machine is picked, either through a barcode or a QR code or the actual text of your selections themselves and scanned in that way. So it's a more updated system. And there's some other laws that have been changed as well, some tweaks to the exact match law that was controversial that said your voter registration would be held up if it didn't exactly match a database, and some other changes to absentee voting and just overall voting quality of life changes that both Republicans and Democrats have supported. Not every bill that gets to the governor's desk does get the signature of approval. He is a Republican, however, and his party does control both chambers. So did Kemp veto any bills this year? Yes, he did. He vetoed 14 bills and a few line items in the state budget. Kemp has the authority to veto certain lines of the state budget, so it's not all or nothing. So there was a few lines of... You know, this community department needs money from this source and not from this source or things like that. But of the bills that he did veto, one of the ones that people have been talking about is this mandatory recess bill that would have required 30 minutes a day of recess for certain elementary school kids. And uh, in the veto statement for that, he said that currently the local boards of education hold broad authority to establish their own policies. So it's a local control thing. And he felt that the bill, the way it was worded, would kind of create this uh, top-down mandate and this unfunded mandate of telling schools, you need to do this in the time, but we're not going to tell you exactly how to do it. Well, Stephen, stick around with us. Our political reporter, Stephen Fowler, is with us. We're going to stay through the break, and we hope you do, too, because we're going to hear about a U.S. House vote to get relief for farmers affected by the hurricanes and the Georgia lawmakers who voted against it. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought, and you can also also go to our Facebook group, GPB's On Second Thought. If you have thoughts or questions about this legislative agenda that was just signed, what's becoming law and what is not, stay with us for more of On Second Thought on Georgia Public Broadcasting. We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott talking with GPB political reporter Stephen Fowler about the bills that Governor Kemp has vetoed or signed. Now we're going to move on to another capital, Washington. A disaster relief package now is heading to the U.S. Senate. The House passed it on Friday. It would give $19 billion to people in Georgia and across the southeast and in Puerto Rico. Stephen, walk us through the timeline of how we got here. Well, in Georgia, Hurricane Michael came last year and caused devastation across parts of the state, uh, Florida, Alabama, other things like that. And since then, Georgia representatives and other states' representatives have been trying to get some sort of disaster aid. Normally, a disaster happens, the federal government declares a disaster, and then there's some sort of aid that comes to whoever's affected from that. Not necessarily in this case. There's been a larger holdup over things 
things like money for Puerto Rico's disaster relief and money for the president's initiatives towards uh, the wall and other border security issues. So we've had several false starts of bills trying to go and money trying to go that ultimately has been held up until this point. The House finally passed a compromise last Friday. Now it's in the Senate's court. Some Georgia Republicans did join Democrats to vote yes on the measure, though President Trump did encourage Republicans to oppose it. Others did vote no. And we've covered the aftermath of Hurricane Michael extensively on this show. Heard from farmers who worry that they will lose land that's been in their family for generations if they don't get relief funds soon. So why did some Georgia lawmakers reject a bill that would give them the help they need? Well, just like I mentioned earlier, there are some larger issues at play beyond disaster relief and disaster relief for Georgia. There's money and funding that's going to Puerto Rico. So and, that was the sticking you know, point. And, you know, the president's initiatives for the wall and border security and saying that it's a top priority. And so, you know, I guess these Republicans in Georgia feel that they can uh do both and find a way to compromise for that. But also, uh, most of the Republicans that voted no for it aren't in disaster-stricken areas. Hmm. Well, the Republicans who did vote yes include Austin Scott and Buddy Carter, both represent parts of Georgia hit hard. How difficult was it for them to buck the party line and vote yes on this? Well, you know, in a ways, they're not really bucking the party line. Austin Scott spoke uh, last week during a hearing, and he blamed Senate Democrats and Democrats for this issue and the president and vice president a little bit. He used the words the vice president said when he toured parts of the uh, area stricken, saying, you know, we stand with you, we stand with our farmers. And he said, where are you with our farmers Democrats. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bucking the party line, but the Democrats in the Senate are the ones that are ultimately going to hold this up. So they want to support their Georgia farmers. Now, of course, going to the Senate where we we had Senator David Perdue on this show stumping for these funds, Senator Johnny Isaacson on Political Rewind doing the same. How do you think they will vote on this measure? Uh, Well, it goes back to what the president says. Senator Perdue is very close to President Trump. And if the president doesn't like this deal, Even if they were able to muster the votes, the Republican votes to pass this, the president very well will veto this measure or maybe veto this measure. And then we're back to the drawing board. So it seems like even though it passed the House, it's going to be up to the Senate to the Senate is the one that's going to have to craft an acceptable package of relief and other things for it to become law and for the Georgia farmers to get the aid that they need. Well, if this measure does fail, do Georgia farmers have any hope of getting relief funds before it is too late to save their farms? Well, what we've seen in a lot of places in southwest Georgia and heard from here on GPB is that a lot of these farmers suffered generational losses. So it's not just this year and next year will be a bad year for them, but multiple years it will take to rebuild these trees and uh, like regrow these crops to a way that's sustainable. So many of them have relied on state funds and state loans that the uh, ag commissioner has given out, but that may not be enough in some cases. Well, legislative season is over, but we're going to be having more Conversations with GPP. Stephen Fowler, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. Stephen covers the state legislature and all things politics for On Second Thought and GPP. 